It's the Adam Ragusea Podcast, episode seven. Oh, no, I don't know which one it is. Hold on. Yeah, 77, episode 77. And I would like to offer some thoughts on comfy content. That is to say, videos and pods and other internet media that people, usually Gen Zers, might describe as being comfy. My content is often described as being comfy, though not always. And when I make content that is not comfy, I can rely on at least a little backlash, which is frustrating for me, but it's also very understandable. In fact, I think that I understand that reaction much more for having written the monologue on comfy content that I'm presently delivering. The act of writing is often the act of figuring out what you think. And that is reason number 10 million and five why writing is a gift straight from Prometheus. Anyway, comfy is short for comfortable, obviously, but that fact alone doesn't tell you very much about how the kids these days are using the word comfy. Comfy content is not videos about fuzzy blankets or generously upholstered furniture, though Content about such things could, incidentally, be comfy. In fact, I guarantee you that someone is making comfy content where they just reupholster furniture and it's relaxing and satisfying AF. I should look that up later. There is no urban dictionary definition yet for comfy in the way that the Zoomers have been using it. And in the absence of any guidance from such an eminent authority as Urban Dictionary, I will now offer my own definition. Comfy content is entertaining or otherwise interesting media that does not arouse your passions. That may be a controversial definition, but I hope it will be less so once I've explained my reasoning. A less controversial definition might be media that does not provoke negative emotions. But there are a few problems with that. It rests on the assumption that emotions can be positive or negative, for which a strong argument could be made, but I would not accept it as an axiom because this is too many examples of feelings that feel both good and bad to me. For example, when I listen to somebody argue in favor of controversial political positions that I happen to share, that makes me feel good. It provokes positive emotions in me in as much as I believe positive emotions even exist. Like probably the most extreme like lefty position I hold is my support of socialized basic health care, or at least socialized basic health insurance for anyone who wants it. This is the moment when nearly everyone listening outside the United States is completely gobsmacked by the notion that this is considered an extreme lefty position within the United States, but it is. I deviate with the American left on any number of things. But when it comes to like basic health care within the context of a highly developed economy, I'm quite convinced that free market principles are significantly inapplicable and we just need something like Medicare for all. Anyway, there's this guy 
who makes YouTube shorts about the festering immorality of the U.S. health insurance industry. He goes by Dr. G on YouTube, but his last name is some unpronounceable Germanic string of seemingly random syllables. Dr. Glockumflecken? Let's go with Dr. G. Anyway, Dr. G does these bitingly humorous Socratic dialogues in his vertical short form social videos where he acts the part of an insurance company representative having a conversation with a doctor whom Dr. G also plays. And the point of these little hypothetical dialogues is to illustrate the brazen evil of the U.S. health insurance business. I, obviously, could not be any more receptive to Dr. G's arguments. His arguments are squarely in line with my worldview and my values. Dr. G's videos make me feel good, at least in some way. Yes, they make me angry at the health insurance industry and the politicians who do its bidding. And anger is a bad emotion in as much as I believe such a thing exists, but it's righteous anger. Dr. G's videos make me feel good because they implicitly flatter me. They tell me that I'm one of the good people on the right side of this important issue. And that makes me feel good about myself. And it makes me happy to see someone preaching the gospel so effectively to all of the unenlightened masses on the internet. That's how Dr. G's videos make me feel in the immediate sense, but they are not comfy. Because I don't think righteous indignation is a comfortable feeling. Yes, it's much more comfortable than hearing someone argue a controversial position you disagree with. That's hella uncomfortable, hearing someone disagree with you, especially when they make an annoyingly strong argument. But a vociferous argument you do agree with is also uncomfortable. It's less uncomfortable, but it is also uncomfortable because it makes you angry at whomever the bad guys are in your mind. And it makes you angry at all the pagans on the internet who've yet to accept your little gospel. Anger can feel good and it can feel less uncomfortable than other feelings, but it's still uncomfortable. If for no other reason, Anger is uncomfortable because we know that anger is contagious. And if we get angry about something that's going to make other people angry in response, then conflict will ensue. If you've ever heard somebody making a controversial argument that you agreed with, but you were still like, oh, no, dude, not here, not now. And you just wanted to sink into the floor. Well, then you know what I'm talking about. Politically charged content is never comfy, even when you agree with it. Or a piece of politically, politically charged content may be comfy, but it is comfy in spite of its charge status, not because of it. Of course, lots of stuff that I might regard as politically neutral is quite charged to someone else. But unless I hear from that person directly... I am blissfully unaware, and blissful ignorance is certainly conducive to comfort. Comfy content, I am presently arguing, is content that does not 
arouse your passions. Passion is a word that in recent years has come to be almost exclusively associated with feelings of love and lust. I am using it in its older, broader sense to describe powerful emotions of any kind. But my argument certainly applies to powerful feelings of love and lust, among others. Does anyone ever describe a piece of pornography as being comfy? I highly doubt it. I mean, broadly speaking, I am pro-porn, or at least I am anti-shaming people about their production or consumption of what I would regard to be ethically sourced porn. And I could imagine that some pornography could be closer to comfy than other pornography. Pornography made for women by women, for example, tends to be comfier than pornography made for and by men which tends to be more implicitly or explicitly violent and exploitative, whereas porn made by women tends to be more intimate and equitable. That's closer to comfy, but I don't think it is comfy. Eroticism, or at least the kind of explicit eroticism that porn exists to deliver, is simply too strong of a feeling to be comfortable. Comfort is, definitionally, unaroused state. And there I am using aroused both in the older, broader sense and in the newer, narrow sense. Comfort is a resting state. Desire is not restful. Desire exists to motivate you and motivate you to get up, go out, get whatever it is that you want. You might not heed the call, you might want something very badly, and yet you still can't get yourself get out of bed to go and get it. That happens all the time, to the best of us. Sometimes we shouldn't go out and try to get the thing that we want, because the thing we want would be harmful to ourselves or others. So we stay in bed. But we are not restful. Or if we are restful, it is in spite of our desires, not because of them. Even when the object of our desire is in that bed with us, our desire motivates us to take action. And action is the opposite of rest. And rest is a necessary condition of comfort. Comfortable conditions are those that are conducive to rest. And rest is the absence of action. Action becomes unnecessary when all of one's needs and wants are satisfied, which is why comfort invariably leads to passivity. And that is perhaps the darkest side of comfort. Passivity in the face of injustice, for example. My healthcare is just fine because I'm a YouTube millionaire. Barely. Therefore, I am passive in the face of a system that horrifically exploits everyone less fortunate than myself, which may include future versions of myself that may be less lucky than my current self. That said, I do not begrudge anyone for comfy content-seeking behavior. I engage in such behavior all the time. I love comfy content. I have some favorites on YouTube that I'm going to tell you about. 
But another source of comfort in my life is a, is a hot cup of coffee, and for that, I can thank a Trade Coffee, sponsor of this episode. Yes, it takes action, effort, to get the things that you desire in life, but wow, does Trade minimize the effort needed to hunt and gather new and interesting coffees from the best independent roasters in the United States. All you do is go to drinktrade.com slash adamshow. Tell them basically what kind of coffee you like and how fast you generally go through it, and they will curate a customized coffee feed that delivers straight to your door on your schedule. Trade has a staff of coffee tasters who, first, decide if, if a roast is good enough to sell, and then second, they decide who might like it. Is this a good coffee for people who like roasty toasty coffee with like a ton of cream and sugar in it or is it good for someone who wants to delicately sprinkle warm water over a super light roast so as to never alter the essence of the bean it's all good calf decaf pre-ground whole bean light dark natural process wet process trade has it all and when they select a roast for you the local independent roaster who made it will send it to you in a compostable red trade bag no more than 48 hours after it was roasted it's a great way to find new things delight yourself treat yourself and support artisanal local businesses that you might otherwise never find go to drinktrade.com slash adam show and if you use my link, you will get a free bag of coffee with any subscription purchase. Free bag at drinktrade.com slash adamshow. Thank you, Trade. Anyway, comfy content-seeking behavior. When you pull something up to watch or listen to it on your phone or whatever, and you pull something up that, up that will not challenge you in any way or, or provoke strong emotions of any kind, that's comfy content-seeking behavior. I think our thirst for such content is a natural and rational response to the media-saturated lives we all lead now, with everybody everywhere screaming to get our attention about all the things at all times. That is not a healthy or sustainable situation. I have contributed it to it myself. Earlier in my career, especially, I used to do screamy headlines with certain keywords in all caps. I used to write hot takes. One of the surest ways to get people's attention is to arouse their passions, positively or negatively. Make them mad, make them scared. This is an inevitable feature of a fully a la carte media diet. When we get to pick each tiny little bit of media we consume as we consume it, well, then each piece of content has to scream to get our attention. It wasn't so, or it was less so, back when I was a kid and we lived out in the woods where we could really only get three channels reliably via our television antenna. One of them was WPSX, since rechristened WPSU, the public television station licensed to Penn State University, synchronous streaming video programming, as we used to have on television, definitely feels a lot of the same market forces and market pressures. Channels and shows still need to wave their arms to get attention, but they don't have to wave them as dramatically because people just flip on a channel and then they leave it. And whatever the programmer programs, that's what you watch within reason. Back when you only have three channels. 
public television is particularly protected or insulated from market forces by virtue of its ostensibly non-profit, ostensibly government-subsidized economic model and its ostensible public service mission. And I reckon some of my earliest experiences with what would come to be called comfy content were with, like, public TV. This old house and the new Yankee workshop. Search those on YouTube if you've never watched. WGBH, the large and legendary public television station in Boston, has, since the late 1970s, produced these shows where mostly bland and inoffensive dudes with dopey Boston accents demonstrate carpentry and other building trades. I'm sure the idea initially was that like Norm Abram would show you how to build a cabinet and then you would build a cabinet, but it very quickly became carpentry as spectator sport. I'm not terribly interested in carpentry. I mean, I am now increasingly as I have entered that season of a man's life when he inexplicably becomes interested in carpentry, even if he wasn't before. I certainly wasn't interested in carpentry when I was nine years old and watching the new Yankee workshop on WPSX, but I watched it all the same because it was comfy. It was perhaps comfy precisely because I did not care about carpentry and I was not trying to learn anything that I needed to know to actually make a cabinet myself. I have no intention of making a cabinet. I just like watching this bland man with his dopey Boston accent make a cabinet. Norm Abram is, as far as I can gather, actually regarded by people who know as like an actual master carpenter. Those projects are probably almost as effortless for him as they appear on TV. I just like watching somebody who knows what they're doing make something, anything. If you make things and you're really good at it, I probably want to watch you do it. It's so soothing. And Norm Abram never came at you with like, carpentry hot takes like why I never use cut in braces or one weird trick to miter like a pro. I mean, I'm sure Norm Abram has some strong controversial opinions on woodworking, but you wouldn't really know it from those shows. He just calmly explains what he's doing, why he's doing it and how you can keep safe while you're doing it. I'm sure the WGBH lawyers were key in that show's constant emphasis on power tool safety, but through Norm's dopey Boston accent, it just came off as sincere fatherly concern for the well-being of the viewer. The guy slowly and methodically and expertly builds beautiful things, and he seems to really care about me. Yet I don't really care about him or anything he's doing. I don't have strong feelings on woodworking either way. It does not arouse my passions. But it's mildly interesting and entertaining and satisfying, and it exudes typically mild-mannered, stoic, understated, some might say emotionally distant, New Englander kindness. That is Comfy AF. Comfy content has any number of pre-internet precedents. Cozy mysteries. Lauren reminded me of those. Cozy mystery. That's a subcategory of crime fiction where 
even though the story may revolve around something horrific like a murder, you know when you pick up a cozy mystery that you're not going to see the murder. There's no blood. You're not going to be made to deal with any of the really difficult social issues that are the root causes of violent crime or whatever. What you're going to do is you're going to watch probably a plucky lady detective cleverly uncover and assemble clues to break the case. Agatha Christie type stuff. Murder, she wrote. Awesome. And and process seems to be a prominent feature of comfy content. Watching somebody fix a problem or make something or solve a mystery one step at a time. You watch them go through the process. Something about the procession of a process is just comfy. Maybe because you know sort of what to expect. There's a formula. And then, of course, there were the cooking shows that I grew up with on public television. Jacques Pepin, Martin Yan, Julia Child goes without saying. When Martin Yan would make Mongolian beef on an episode of Yan Can Cook, he wasn't trying to show you some like new twist on Mongolian beef, some viral hack for Mongolian beef. He wasn't saying, oh, everything you ever heard about Mongolian beef is wrong and only I can set you straight. Martin Yan was just like, yeah, the mostly white people who watch public TV in the 1980s are probably familiar with this ostensibly Mongolian dish from their ostensibly Chinese restaurants. And I'm just going to show them how to make it while being unthreateningly charming and inoffensively humorous. But are we sure that cooking shows fit my definition of comfy? Food arouses passions and desires, that's for sure. Desire is not restful. Therefore, it is not comfortable. If you watch something that makes you desperately want to eat something, well, then that is not comfy. I mean, the content may be comfy, but it is comfy in spite of how hungry it has made you, not because of that. Food content, it's really all about making you hungry and desirous of something fancy, or exotic, or otherwise hard to obtain. We have a term for that kind of content, right? Food porn, right? Food porn. And pornography, as we have previously established, is not comfy. Instructional food content is more comfy, I think, for several reasons. There's the methodical aspect the process, watching somebody make something step-by-step step is inherently calming, assuming that it all goes reasonably well. And there's great satisfaction in watching something come together through no effort of your own. And there's great satisfaction in seeing a goal achieved, which you can generally only reliably do if you're talking about like a small, short-term, low-stakes goal, like the preparation of a plate of food. There's also the mood, the affect of kind concern for the viewer's well-being. If I am ostensibly teaching you how to make something, that implies that I care about you and what you eat. And I care about your ability to make what you want to eat. And I care enough to try to set you up for success as best as possible. That feels good to the viewer, even if the viewer never intends to actually cook what I'm showing them how to cook. Indeed, 
Instructional content that's too instructional is not comfy. See actual training videos used in actual professional training situations. When the video actually has to make sure that the viewer will actually be able to do the thing themselves, then it all gets a lot ca like less casual and it gets a lot less fun and a lot less breezy. Everything slows down and it starts to feel like school because it is. Comfy food content is neither too porny, nor is it too didactic. It's just a person making a thing. Maybe so other people can make something similar, or maybe not. It doesn't really matter. Nothing of great consequence could possibly be comfy. Comfy things are inherently, relatively, inconsequential. Matters of great consequence we generally reserve for work, not play, right? And there is no more consequential decision at work than who you work with. So hire your next employee with Indeed, sponsor of this episode. 81% of U.S. online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to Comscore, and it is the number one source of hires in the U.S., according to Talentnest. Four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Indeed is the only place you need to be. You've got your business to run. You can't be on a million different job boards. And what's best, you can attract, interview, and hire all in the same place with Indeed. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed's U.S. data. And of course, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Once you've zoomed in on somebody, you can reach out to them through Indeed, encourage them to apply for your position. You can do a virtual interview or assessment. It's all in there. That's why 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with the $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Ragusea. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit right now at Indeed.com slash Ragusea. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Comfy content is inherently trivial. If it's important... It can't be comfy because important things provoke strong feelings. When we go looking for comfy content, we are not looking to feel anything intense. And I am not shaming anyone for that. It is a natural and rational and right response for a person in today's media ecosystem to seek out stuff that isn't shouting at them. My content often sits at the edge of comfiness. I deal in lots of stuff that doesn't really matter, but I deal in some stuff that matters, you know, a little, and some stuff that matters a whole lot. And I get how that threatens the bond of trust that I have with my audience. If someone comes to me because they want to see the doughy beardy guy make soup by just chopping up random vegetables and boiling them. Well, I get that their trust may be shaken if in the next 
week's video, I talked to them about how, you know, the fertilizer supply chains that make those vegetables possible are totally unsustainable. And a lot of the people who pick those vegetables are terribly exploited, etc. I get how that shakes our bond of trust, because I have been experiencing that same feeling lately with one of my favorite comfy content creators at the moment, and that is Father Fish. <clears throat> Father Fish on YouTube. Look him up. I honestly have trouble thinking about anything other than Aquaria at the moment. All I want to do is work on my fish tanks and watch videos about other people's fish tanks. Lauren has this theory about why the sort of guy like me is so into fish tanks. Well, fish keeping is the term used by like hardcore fish tank people, fish keeping. My wife says that fish keeping is all sciency and nerdy, and yet it contains just enough nurturing to scratch the mildest paternal itch. Fish keeping gives a guy like me the opportunity to care and provide for a smaller, more vulnerable living thing without having to do any real emotional labor or commit to anything or really bond with anyone or anything. And I get to use my chemistry set while I'm doing it. So yeah, lots of nerdy dudes with intimacy issues keep fish tanks. Personally, I think a big reason I like watching fish keeping videos on the internet is that this is one of the few endeavors I can talk about with other men that has absolutely nothing to do with attracting women. <laughs> nothing. Like, fish keeping is generally a thing that our wives tolerate us doing, at the very most. Here, actually, for the people watching on home video, I'm going to uh, turn up the light on my shrimp cube behind me. There you go. There's the shrimp cube. Regardless, there is so much comfy fish keeping content on YouTube, much of it by non-male creators, it should be said. But my favorite at the moment is Father Fish, a Santa Clausical old man with a big white beard who owns an aquarium shop somewhere. And I gather he's a pastor of some kind, hence Father Fish. And he is perhaps the leading proponent on the internet these days of something called the Wallstad method, named after the American biologist who invented it, Diana Wallstad. What you do is you put a layer of dirt, real living soil at the bottom of your aquarium. And then you cap off the dirt with like a couple inches of gravel or father fish prefers sand. You do this to function as a kind of like natural filter. And then you plant the aquarium very densely with every tropical aquatic plant that they have down at the store. And then you stock the aquarium with fewer and smaller fish than will be your instinct to buy. And then you basically leave it alone. You might use a small mechanical pump driven filter or bubbler of some kind, or you might not even need that. And you don't do constant water changes, just a little water change here and there, mostly to replenish dissolved minerals and such. You don't vacuum all the fish poop out of the gravel every week. You just leave it and you let it become a self-sufficient, balanced ecosystem where bacteria in the substrate, the dirt and the sand, the bacteria break down all the dangerous nitrogen compounds from the fish poop and they turn it into plant food and the plants do the rest. 
with the father fish adaptation of the Wallstad method, you might feed your fish very little or perhaps not at all. And they eat the plants and or the algae and or the like bacterial biofilm that's on the plants. And you just leave the tank alone. Let it become a real ecosystem. Wallstad method is not nearly as easy as it sounds, but it can be real easy and really effective. And Father Fish promotes it for a number of reasons. But the biggest one is peace. Father Fish says stuff like, you know, the point of an aquarium is to create a place of peace for both you and for the fish. You know, most of the kinds of fish that we keep in aquaria do not naturally swim out in open water, and therefore they do not want to be in a nearly empty aquarium where they can easily be seen and displayed. Most freshwater aquarium fish want to spend their days weaving in and out of a dense forest of plants where they feel nourished and nurtured and most importantly, safe from predators. Fish in a Wallstad-type tank often move much more slowly. You know, we're used to seeing aquarium fish flutter around all over the place, and it looks beautiful, but it's because they're panicking. They want to be safe in among the rocks and the driftwood and the plants. And the plants, incidentally, serve as nature's aquarium filter. If you plant a lot of them, and you don't keep too many fish in one tank. Father Fish loves to talk about how bacteria are good. A Wallstad-type tank is dependent on nitrogen-eating bacteria. Conventional aquarists often are super like nervous about microorganisms of any kind, super scared to introduce germs into the tank, etc., for fear of introducing disease. Father Fish is always saying, no, 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 it's all part of the web of life. Problems happen when the web of life is out of balance. You are part of that web, Father Fish always says. You are part of the ecosystem too. Don't forget that. The germs on the hand that you use to plunge, plunge plants into your substrate, that's all part of the web of life. And as much as Father Fish loves fish, he obviously loves people much more. He is a humanist. He understands that the primary function of an aquarium is not to house poor unhoused fish, but it is to make people happy, to give people a feeling of peace by creating a peaceful aquatic ecosystem for us to observe and enjoy and be fascinated by all the weird natural fish behavior that fish do when we give them something close to a natural environment. It's all about creating peace for ourselves. I find this kind of talk so relaxing and reassuring and comfy. But Father Fish also has sort of a dark side. Father Fish is angry at the aquarium industrial complex that emphasizes electronic gear and bottles of exotic chemicals as the key to successful fish keeping because these are the things the industry can sell to us. Industry can't sell us dirt. Well, they try. Father Fish is angry at fish keepers who keep fish that are too big to be in an aquarium, or they keep far too many fish in an aquarium because they treat their aquarium as a decorative object rather than a home. 
Father Fish is good at controlling his anger and voicing it with kindness, always kindness. But you can feel that anger bubbling, as it were, just below the surface. It's righteous anger, but any kind of anger is not comfy. Any kind of controversy is not comfy. Disagreement, dissatisfaction, not comfy. And on some level, I think I feel betrayed when Father Fish goes from talking about biological peace, love, and understanding to decrying the evils of Petco and the like. Now, that's a me problem, not a Father Fish problem. I want Father Fish to keep preaching this gospel because it is righteous. But at the same time, I know how it feels kind of bad when you go to a content creator for comfort and they serve you something else. This is why the most consistently, reliably comfy content is inconsequential, unimportant, trivial. There are very few important topics that people don't disagree over passionately. And it's important that we all engage with the important stuff, but not all the time. Modern life shoves our faces in the important stuff all the time. And this taxes us on every level. It taxes our patience and our empathy. It was much easier to love thy neighbor as thyself when thy only had like three other neighbor families in the same valley where you all farmed and lived your entire lives cradle to grave. Christian charity or Muslim charity or whatever kind of ancient concept of charity you're talking about was much easier to embody back when most individuals would only be called upon to be charitable to like the few other living humans within a day's walk. Now, with money and the internet, I could help alleviate the suffering of nearly any human being on this planet. But I can't possibly care for that many people. I can't possibly love all the other 8.1 billion people in this world as much as I love myself and my immediate family. No person can be stretched that thin, financially or emotionally. I can't get righteously angry about all the things I should be righteously angry about. That is an unnatural, unsustainable way for any intelligent organism to live. How we adopt ancient concepts of charity for a modern interconnected world, well, I really have no idea. But I do think that comfy content-seeking behavior is a perfectly justifiable adaptive response, and I will not shame you for it. I'll confess that comfy content is on my mind lately because I've been having a really hard time lately. I am saying this only because it is toward the end of a 45-minute episode without any kind of sexy thumbnail or headline attached, and So I think the only people listening right now are people that I'm comfortable saying this to. I I have struggled with anxiety and depression my whole life, but weirdly it's gotten worse this year. This year, when I decided to reduce my work schedule and start enjoying the fruits of my labor and my luck and the charmed life that your patronage provides me, dear listener slash viewer, it's gotten worse weirdly. My discomfort with my fame, such as it is, has gotten a lot worse. 
I feel looked at all the time, like some kind of aquarium fish. And I find that more unnerving and intolerable every day I do it. My panic attacks have gotten more frequent and more dramatic, to the point of passing out. Which is really scary and unfair to the people around me who love me and get really freaked out when they see a grown man crumple. I don't know if my problems are getting worse, or if I've just gotten rich enough that I can afford to indulge my problems instead of just working through them like everybody else does. I had what you would call like a mental health crisis this past week, a crisis episode. I'm still kind of putting myself back together from that, which is why this episode is kind of tossed off. I might have more to say about such stuff in the future, or I might not. I don't know. The reason I mention it is that I, I want you to know that I am thinking seriously about further reducing my publication schedule. And long term, I'm thinking about getting out of the game entirely and trying to live a much more private life. I don't think I could ever go back to working like a real job again, but I could try to like, you know, save enough money to where I could just like volunteer for the rest of my life, teach media production to at-risk kids or something like that. I'd like to do that. That's a medium-term life plan that I'm seriously considering. I do think I might skip next week's pod or video. I really don't know. I talked to Colin. I have sought treatment for my problems to an extent that I never have before, so I really don't know what's going to happen next because what happens next will depend on other people. It will depend on the input of my wellness support team such as it is they might have thoughts i honestly don't want to talk about any of this but i feel that you the few people who are still listening deserve to know what's up and why the comfort that i perhaps provide you to help you cope with your problems it might not always be on tap where you expect it going forward i'm not quitting but I need to do something dramatic to address my mental health trajectory. I love you in as much as I can love someone that I don't know, which is actually a fair bit, I think. I do actually care about you and your well-being. Comfy content is in the eye of the beholder, but if your version of comfy is similar to mine, well... And if you need some comfort, let me recommend another fish guy on YouTube, Cow Turtle. Search Cow Turtle, one word, on YouTube. It's this young guy in Kentucky who realized that he had an old rainwater cistern under his garage. So he filled it up with like native freshwater fish. He calls it his eel pit. And it's the coolest damn thing I've ever seen. He knows a ton about like freshwater ecosystems and biology, and there's no damn politics or shouting of any kind. It's just a tall, skinny, baby-faced fish nerd who wriggles through the manhole in his garage and drops down into a totally different aquatic world of life and peace. Even where there is predation, there is peace. Because it's all the same web of life to which we all belong.
check out Cow Turtle's Eel Pit on YouTube or seek comfort wherever else you can find it and don't let anybody make you feel guilty for it. If you've had a hard day and you just need to watch somebody frost cakes or whatever, you do it. How wonderful it is that the internet has made such content possible. No boardroom full of cigar-chomping media executives would have greenlit a show about the eel pit in northern Kentucky. We talk a lot of trash about the internet, but let's give credit where it's due. It gave us the eel pit. Make good choices. I'll try to as well. I'll talk to you next time. Whenever that time may be.